this week as I was preparing for um, the message, uh, it was one of those instances where I was looking at a passage of scripture that I've looked at dozens and dozens of times before. I was looking at a passage of scripture that I've heard literally hundreds of people reference at different times. But I had an experience where I was, I was like, oh, I think I get it better now. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, where you've read something, you've heard it a bunch, but then you actually study it, you get into it, and you say, wow. I liken it to the difference between the TV I grew up with and the types of TVs I've seen on children floors. Maybe someday we'll have one, but uh, I, I, uh, when I grew up, we had this little black and white TV. It was interesting, we had a couple teens here at the earlier service, and some of them have never seen a black and white TV. Is there anyone in this room that hasn't seen a black and white, ever, ever watched TV on black and white? Look at that. Some of you have never seen, they've never seen black and white TV. Wow. But anyway, I, we used to, in our kitchen, we had this little plastic black and white TV. You actually had to physically go up to it and like click, 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 click to try to turn the channels. It had this little antenna where depending on what show you wanted to watch, you had to pull up this telescopic antenna and kind of move it around until you got the right signal. Then if you clicked it again, you had to go and move the antenna. Well, anyway, that's how I used to see the passage you're looking at today. I thought I got it, but after spending a week reflecting on it, looking at it, and studying it, it's like that. There's so much more to it than the black and white fuzzy. I mean, I feel like just even with a little bit of time digging into the text, I feel like now it's HD, 3D, IMAX coolness, you know? And, and my hope is that for some of you, you're going to understand this passage a little more than you did before. Uh, my, that's my hope. And for others of you who already are there, you, you've already studied this text, you know it forward and backward and all that type of thing, then I hope this is a good reminder. Because this is a refresher that we all need, especially in the culture that we live in. The passage that I'm speaking about right now, and that we're going to be digging into, comes from one of the writings of a man named John. For uh, the last several weeks, as we've been heading towards Easter, we've been examining these writings of a real person. He's an historical guy named John. He actually spent time with Jesus. About three years, he walked with Jesus. They, they, they spent time together. They had meals together. He got to experience Jesus firsthand. And what he saw and experienced so changed his life that he had to write these things down and pass them along to us, and we've been looking at his writings, these revelations that came through God that, that he wrote down to pass along to us. And today, we're going to be looking at a passage in what's called the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at a passage from John 13. And it's really interesting, this is really a hinge right here. This is a hinge. Leading up to John 13, so much of what Jesus was doing was public. His teachings that we see in John, most of them are public teachings. The ministries we see John, uh, Jesus doing, uh, the miracles, the wondrous signs that we see, so much of that is public. And now in, in 13 and, and for the chapters that follow, it gets very, very, very private. Literally now, we get to go, we have this great opportunity from an eyewitness, we get to go behind closed doors the night of Jesus' betrayal. We get to hear and see what Jesus said to his closest disciples. We have that opportunity. So this is this is privileged stuff. This is privileged stuff that we get to look in on, and we get to see what God reveals uh, through through this section that has been passed on to us of, of Jesus' words. So enough introductions. Let's uh, turn to John 13, John chapter 13, starting with verse one. 
If you have your Bible, let's open up to it. We're going to spend almost our entire time right here in John 13. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to send you home with one free today. We have a stack of them right there by the welcome table. No one will shoot you on your way over there. Uh, hopefully, uh, just pick one up on your way out. All right, here we go. John uh, chapter 13, 7, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's sons, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Here's where this just gets crazy. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Okay, so that's a passage I've read a lot of times, I've heard a lot of times, and I think all of us, whether this is the first time we've heard it or not, we can all appreciate this is a humbling act for Jesus. That's the black and white version right there. Just, it's a humbling act. Everyone gets that. How do you get that? Because sandal and flip-flop season is here, Right? And how many of you like sandals, like flip-flops? All right, hands up if you do. Okay, how many of you like how your feet smell after wearing sandals or flip-flops all day? How many of you like how other people's feet smell after wearing flip-flops? Well, nobody does, right? So at a very surface level, everybody gets this. This is a this is a humbling act. This is an act of servanthood. Everybody gets that. You know, and that's pretty much where I would just stop and I just keep reading on. Because I, mean, I get it. It was humbling for Jesus. Wow. And he's Jesus of all people. That's humbling. Boy, after spending some time, this, this was not just humbling. This was beyond shocking. Every sort. It's not always the case. I have a number of different sources I try to look at. I try to look at some conservative ones and some liberal ones and, and try to sort all that kind of stuff out. It, it was interesting. This is one point that all of them agreed on. All of them agreed on this. That this was beyond shocking for Jesus to do this. It was a very hospitable culture, the one Jesus was at. And so it was not a common at all. If a traveler came to your house, you had a guest, you would provide a bowl of water for them to wash their feet. For them to wash their feet. Even the most hospitable host, you don't wash their feet. If you had a slave, if you had a slave, you might have the slave wash their feet. But guess what? If your slave was Jewish, they were exempt. So your hired staff, if they were Jewish, they were exempt from washing feet. And there are a couple rare instances, if I'm understanding this correctly, there's a couple rare instances where you might find an example of a woman washing her husband's feet, or a child washing their parents' feet, or a... Uh, a disciple of a master washing their master's feet. But it appears as though every time that happens, it's looked at as, wow, are they devoted? Are you kidding me? A, a wife would wash her husband's feet? Wow. A child would wash their parents' feet? They must really love and respect their parents. Oh, a, a student would wash their master's feet? They must hold that master in high, high regard. Every source I was looking at concurred on that. That this was not something that he did. In fact, this was so 
serious a cultural violation that to do it, if you were to watch someone else's feet, it's almost like you were taking yourself down socially, down the ladder. Now, I had a sister, I, along those lines, I had a sister who lived in California for a while. There was a show, I'm dating myself black and white TVs, and, and a show called Allie McBeal. There was a show called Allie McBeal that used to be on TV. My sister was Kalisa Flockhart's body double in that show. And so she spent time in Hollywood. She got to be, you know, assist with the red carpet and all this kind of stuff. Well, one of the things that she told me is that you talk about status conscious in Hollywood. They are off the chart status conscious. In fact, if you're an A-lister celebrity, you will time it. You won't show up on the Oscar carpet when the B-listers are there. You actually time it so you're not sharing the carpet at the same time. If you're a B-lister, same is true with the C-listers. C-listers with D-listers. You know where you want to be, and you always want to be seen with those who are higher up. You don't want to be seen with those who are lower down, unless you have a joke. So, um, here's, here's some, let's make this a little bit visual. There's a couple people right now who are probably in the category of C-lister. We got Bridget Nielsen and Flava Flave. Now, uh, you could, it's perfectly acceptable for the two of them to share a screen at the same time. They fit in the kind of the same category. You can put them on TV at the same time. You're not breaking any social norms. Now, if you did this, let's say you tried to have a new movie, uh, a, a drama, all right? And you've got George Clooney casted. You don't, you don't cast him with a love interest, Bridget Nielsen. You, you just you don't do that. The, the handlers, Clooney's handlers would be like, this is, you don't do this. You don't do this. And then let's... They kind of play with a little bit, since everybody else does. Uh, you would not see him starring in a, or you would not see a Natalie Portman. She would not, if, if they were going to do a prequel to Swan, she would not be like, who can I get to be a romantic lead here? You know, you just, this wouldn't happen. Because it's a social status thing. You just, it's, it's, you just don't do that in Hollywood. Unless, again, you're, you're making some kind of juxtaposition, some kind of irony, some kind of joke. You just don't do that. Well, what, what Jesus did, if I'm understanding this correctly, was beyond that. It was, it was beyond shocking. It was a nobody does this thing. And how do we know that? Well, we can see in part just by Peter's reaction. Let's just continue reading. If you have your Bibles, open back up. Uh, let's just pick up where we left off in verse 6. Uh, I'm make sure I'm in the right spot. I'll leave out some stuff. I'm so much here. All right, uh, here we go. Verse 15, 7, 6, we'll go 6 through 11. Okay, so Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who says to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you will not understand now, but afterward you will understand. But well, Peter says to him, You shall what? What does it say? You will never, you will never wash my feet. Well, Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Remember that word share. You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, then, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not, what does it say? Not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, You're not all clean, right? All that stuff is, is, is so rich. All right, let's start with Peter's reaction. Peter's reaction was, Lord, you, what are you watching, Mike? You will never, never wash my feet. It's interesting to compare. Let's step out of John for just a second. Let's compare Peter's reaction here with another reaction that he had earlier. This is um, uh, Matthew 16, 22. We see this 
from another eyewitness account here, says Peter took Jesus aside, began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall what? Never happen to you. Here's another instance where Peter is so struck by what Jesus says, he rebukes his master, great idea there, rebukes his master and says, No, 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 what you're saying is wrong. This should never happen to you. Do you know what that instance was in Matthew? That instance there was Jesus telling his disciples, hey, we're going to I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be executed. And Peter, no, this should never happen to you. Look at look how similar that is to what we just read. When Peter says to Jesus, no, you will never wash my feet. This caused a powerful reaction. So we can see this is, this is a beyond shocking thing. This is something that just it didn't happen. For Jesus to humble himself in that way. Wow. Wow. Well, and so now we move from black and white to early color. And where you go to HD, 3D, IMAX is when you start to realize as humbling and shocking as it was for Jesus to physically wash somebody's feet. What Jesus is doing right here, he's just foreshadowing the real thing. He's just, in this act, which is as shocking and, and everything that it is, he's just foreshadowing. You know what the real act of humility is going to be? You know what the real act of sacrifice is going to be? You know what the real act of obedience is going to be? It's when I cleanse you with water. I cleanse you with blood. And I show the true depths of my love for you willingness to sacrifice for you, my willingness to put you above myself, to put the Father above all else. That's, this, for what you think, it's only pointing to that. Wow. Wow. Here, here's why you can make that jump. Let's go right to the scriptures. In the book of John, before we get to 13, we get to 11. In chapter 11, verse 55, it says this, now the Passover, remember we read about Passover? Now the Passover the Jews was at hand, Many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to do what? Purify themselves. So it's probable, it's highly probable, that the disciples had already done a ritual cleaning. They had already ritually, with water, ritually washed themselves. And now not only do you have that, you have the ritual washing there, you have Jesus using water to wash you. Well, if that water could have made you clean, Judas would have been if the water itself could have cleaned you, if there was some magical holy property to the water that could wash your sins away, then Judas would have been clean. But what did we read earlier? Was Judas clean? No. So evidently, Jesus is talking about something that goes beyond this washing your feet, washing your hands, making sure every part has had water go over it. That doesn't do the actual cleaning. It points to something greater. Look at, and, and here's the greater thing, and look at the, the language Jesus uses. Look how exclusive this is. Here's what Jesus says in 13, chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus answers Peter, hey, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. He says, if I don't wash you, you can go do the purification thing. You can try to purify yourself. You can get the priests to try to clean you up. You can sacrifice these animals. You can, you can do all that stuff. Unless I wash you. 
you're not clean. You have no share in it. Okay, here's, I want to point another thing here too. It, it says you have no share with me. That's interesting word choice there. Because there's a, the, the New Testament, most, almost all of the New Testament is in, that, that we have, dating back, is in Greek. Most of the Old Testament, almost all of the Old Testament, would be in Hebrew. There's an ancient copy of the Old Testament in Greek. It dates back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's called the Septuagint. If you were to read that copy, the same language used when they're talking about the promised land, the, the land that was promised to God's people when they were delivered from slavery, that you will have a share in this inheritance, it's the same kind of language that's used here. Talk about exclusive. Jesus saying, if I don't wash you, those promises that were made to the people of God back then, these promises that I've been telling you, things that you don't understand now that you're going to get to hear about, if I don't wash you, you have no share in that. So is Jesus talking about more than water here? Absolutely. You know, that's why that's why baptism, and what a what a beautiful thing baptism is. But does the act of baptism, if, it, if you're seeing it as a ritual, as a, this will clean me with this magic water, does that do the job? No. Baptism is a sign of the cleansing that comes by Jesus. Wow. That is powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. All right. Well, let's try now to put this in the practical terms. What does this mean? What, what can we pull from this? I would encourage you, if you haven't already, pull up purple sheets. Inside the bulletins, there's these purple sheets. Let's pull them in. Let's, 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 let's make some sense out of this. Um, there's two sections here. Let's do the first section first. What does John reveal through his account of a foot washing a child? Well, one of them is this thing we've just been talking about now. Jesus' supreme act of humility and servanthood was foreshadowed. When Jesus washed the feet, that was a powerful thing in and of itself, that example. But what he was doing was really even pointed something more amazing, and that was what he was going to do on the cross. So that was one of the things that was happening here. Jesus foreshadowed uh, that event that was to come. Um, before I move on to number two, let me just pause for a second and speak to those of you who carry more guilt uh, and shame than you need to carry. It is, in a, in a room this size, um, especially given the way that a lot of you invite folks to come who don't know about God, there's probably a number of you in here who are carrying around this idea of God's out to get me, and with good reason. You know that, that wow, after all I've done, that God hates me. That God is disgusted. That God is this, that, other thing. Um, look at this example. God is out to get you. God is out to save you, and He's sparing no expense. He's 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 reaching down to meet you where you're at. He's taking a servant stance towards you, not a get your act together, then come see me stance. A reaching right where you're at stance. See, will you let me wash you? Judas, who will betray me, will you let me wash you? So the question remains is, will you let him? It's not a matter of if God wants you, it's a matter of if you'll let him. Judas walked away. He didn't have to walk walked away. So, so that's an important thing to, to keep in mind. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk now about Revelation number 2. What does John reveal through his account of the foot washing Messiah? Wow, well, Jesus is reaching out to us. But he also does this. We are given a 
vivid example to follow. And looking back, I should have had vivid, bolded, and underlined an example, because it is a vivid example for us to follow. And that's huge. All right, let's go back to our text. Let's pick up with verse 12. It says this. This is just continuing where we left off. When Jesus had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? Okay, why don't you pause in here? I want to talk to believers right now. Uh, those of you who have a personal faith, you've expressed and professed a personal faith in Jesus Christ, this is for us, all of us. All right? So if that's you, listen, because he's going to say some hard things, but this is for us. This is Jesus moving from the public ministry. He is now with his disciples. If we call ourselves his disciples, he's talking to us right now. Okay? So if you're not a follower of Jesus, please listen in. But you're listening in on stuff he's telling disciples of Jesus. Look what he says. You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to what? Wash one another's feet. If I did this, you should be doing this. You wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. He spells it out. Can you get this right? I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master or her master, nor is a messenger greater than one that sent him or her. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do one. Can he say it more clearly? There might be some of you who don't know me well enough yet. You're just getting to know me who are like, oh yeah, this whole thing is doctrine self-serving. He's trying to manipulate this group into serving the church or whatever. Oh, you know what? Look at the scripture, okay? Don't just listen to what I'm saying. If I'm wrong, I would love to have that debate and I will correct it. I will correct it. I will stand up here next week if I, if I have misinterpreted this passage. But if I am reading this correctly, I mean, it, it seems so straightforward. If I give you an example, you should do just as I have done. Well, what did he do? It was scandalously serving other people. It was crazy servanthood that made people go, what? You did what? That, I mean, that's what it looks like he is saying here. You know, I've got a new soapbox. I've got a couple of them. I didn't have this soapbox before this week. Before this week, I, I certainly uh, I certainly would have encouraged people, and I have encouraged people to get involved. I certainly would encourage people to serve because I had a black and white understanding of, like, hey, you know what? Jesus served, we should serve. Right? Looking at this, and it's jumping off at me. This is like 3D. I've given you this example, this crazy other. You should do just as I've done for you. Just as he did for us? That's that's insanely crazy example of what he, he did. Uh, let's continue in your notes here to write down some things and let's let's apply this to our lives. It, it, Jesus said, if you know these things, you'd be blessed if you what? You do it. If you know this, you'd be blessed if you do it. So let's talk about the doing. Two questions. Again, this is for believers. Question number one: whose feet are you washing? On Sunday mornings. Or you could write, it doesn't have to be Sunday, but when Christians gather, who, whose feet are you washing when Christians gather? If you're a Christian and Christians are gathering, whose feet are you washing when we do? I would I would encourage you, write something down. 
And if you can't write something down, think what you're going to write down and do. Because we're blessed if we do these things. Who are you watching when we get together? Now, again, I, when, I, when I'm speaking of certain of the past, um, that 1 Corinthians 12 is a passage I reference a lot. It's a, a passage where Jesus likens us to the body. He says, you like a body with many parts, and, and every part has its function, so do your function. And that that's God's word. It's true. And I, I still believe that, that we should be serving in part in our areas of strength. That God's given you an ability to, to teach, and you should teach, and he's given ability to do music, then do music. If he's given you ability to lead, then lead. Do in Jesus' name what he's given you an ability to do. I still believe that. I'll still teach it. But now it's like, there's this piece also. And if I'm understanding this passage correct, it's it's going beyond that. It's saying, yes, do that. Serve in your area of strength. But also, serve in a crazily shocking way that you wouldn't do unless you were following Jesus Christ. Wash the feet. So serve in your area of strength. And serve. Just serve in a way that isn't your area of strength to serve. Was Jesus' spiritual gift foot washing? No, he had all kinds of gifts. I don't know if that maybe was one of them. But he was, he, this was not the point of that. The point wasn't, I'm a great foot washer. Watch me go now. And then whatever it is you do, you do. But I'm a great foot No, this was like washing the feet and all the stuff that we, we said about that earlier. So I, I think this is a part that we should just be doing. Seeking ways where we do this. In fact, I'll, here's the language I wrote in my notes. Um, when we gather... We should argue over who gets to make the coffee. It's, I don't care if it's your week. I'm going to do it this week. You know, it can almost be like that. We should, um, we should almost come to blows over who gets the worst seat. No, I'm taking that seat with beverage. I can't take that corner seat where I can't see the screens. It's mine. You know, it almost should be like that. It should be, we race to get here first so we can park the farthest away. Like Deborah, you don't get the worst spot this week. You know, he beats me every week, and so does Joel. You know, I'm gonna get your first. I get that corner spot far from the door. Can you imagine that? That's the kind of stuff that that we're talking about. Serving in in a in a way that just people look at and go, what? I just don't get it. I, I, I'm I'm kidding. I'm on a soapbox because this is this is a mark of authentic faith. This is a mark of authentic faith. And I tell you, God's word is true. He says you'll be blessed when people do that. We're blessed because of people do that. I think of, I think of, you know, we were talking about coffee. I think, I think a lot of folks are blessed by coffee and treats. How many of you are blessed by coffee and treats? Are you blessed by coffee and treats? Does it just show up like manna did back then? No, no. Someone earlier today was saying something like 26, 28 dozen treats. Did somebody, does anybody know? Is about, that right? About 30. Actually. About 30 dozen treats. These folks make or pick up somehow get here to serve you. Coffee, we're up to how many pots? Lots, right? Lots, lots. It doesn't make itself. People come and they serve, and we're blessed by that. I, I think about you know kids. A number of us have kids here. We have grandkids. We're blessed because people come and they take these rooms that when we come are just just rooms, they turn them into environments where kids come in and are welcome and are loved and they're learning about God. They're really learning. Like, they're doing a better job than I'm doing at teaching this stuff. And kids are coming home, my kids are coming home, they're like, yeah, this means this. What? 
And, and they're helping them make friends with other believers. And it's just it's this amazing thing. They're doing it. They're serving. And we're blessed. We're blessed because they do. Every Sunday we're blessed because people pick up a servant towel. And they serve. And they pull cases out of storage. And they open them up. And they put this thing here and this thing here. And they pack things. And they, 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 they take screens and they snap them on. And, and they focus up. And all that. We're blessed because people serve. We're blessed. We get to see Dozens of ways that demonstrate that the Spirit of Christ is working in them. And here's the beautiful thing. The world gets to see it. We don't just, we're not the only ones blessed. The world gets to see it. I, I comment at the last uh, service that um, you know we're renting this space, and we should look different than the other wow. groups that rent this space. Because the other groups that rent this space should be expecting those who they're renting from and paying for to be serving them. And when we rent it, we should be turning that upside down. And it should be us serving them. And if we don't look any different than any other group, then we should go retreat into some little building and paint a little white steeple. Well, we shouldn't paint a white steeple, but we should retreat in some building where nobody sees us until, we get to, until God changes our hearts. And we learn how to serve one another. Because if they don't see any difference in the Christian groups than the non-Christian groups, then we are, we are we're painting an inaccurate picture of who we're supposed to be. We should look very, very different than other groups who don't claim to be following a master like that. Here's, here's a passage that speaks to that, John 13, 33-34. We quote this one a lot, a lot. Here it is in context. This follows the train of thinking that we were just looking at. It, it's in the same chapter as I loved you, so you are to love one another. As I will do. Do you catch the meaning of that? As I, I, I went to the cross for you. As I have loved you, you love one another. By this all people will, by this, look at that. As I loved you, love one another. By this, by the way you love one another, all people will know. You're my disciples. You have love for one another. You know, the world expects, the world expects those who have power to demand to be served. The world just expects that. When we flip this upside down, what does that say? What does it communicate? And I, I tell you, I, I want to commend our elders. You, you've elected elders at this church. And when you elect an elder, you delegate a lot of authority to these folks. They can make a lot of decisions on your behalf. Let me tell you about the elders we have at this church in this context. We've got an elder comes, hold, hold, gets everything ready. We have two elders who serve in our kids' ministry and they don't serve their kids. They serve other people's kids. We've got an elder who's part of the worship ministry, packs up his drums, puts them in the back seat of his car, sets up his drum gazebos and among a whole lot of other things. We've got an elder, get this, literally on, on Fridays, she comes and scrubs the toilets and other things at our church office. Now that's what I call leadership. Huh? And what is the, again, when the world sees that, this is how we, how we, we act? Oh. oh, that's powerful. Because the world expects those who don't have power to serve those who do, but when that gets flipped, they communicate something else. Here's another thing that the world expects. The world expects great service if you pay for it, doesn't it? The world expects it. The world demands it. I want to see the manager. 
but they demand it. If you pay for it, I should get it. Well, what does the world do when you're volunteering? What do they do with that? When you're not demanding anything, you're so. What does the world do with that? When you, who many get paid a lot of money for you, you get to boss a lot of people around. When you show up, you put a servant towel around your, your arm, you serve. What does that say? It blesses us. I think it blesses the world as well. It sends a huge message. So, what have you written down? You don't have to say it out loud, but what have you written down? I haven't seen a lot of people writing. All right? What have you written down? If you aren't writing down what you're doing now, write down something you're going to do. And again, if you want to just spite me and say it's self-serving, then don't do it here. Just follow what Jesus says and do it somewhere. It can be all kinds of things. Are you initiating conversations? We have a couple flaming extroverts here, but we don't have a lot of them. You know, and they, they'll, it's nothing for them. They initiate a conversation. Most of the time it takes effort. That's a way to serve, to initiate a conversation or to invite someone into a conversation. To, to do these other things we've mentioned about setting up or taking down, bringing trees, caring for someone else's kids, you know. Um, but beyond that, just with our with this community center we're in, what would it communicate if they see us picking up trash in the parking lot? Think what that would communicate to to them. Or if again they see us all going, we all go to the far corners of the parking lot. Right? It, it, it's something that's asked of all of us in the West when we do it. Well, let me ask one more question here um, of you. If you're a believer, here it is. Whose feet are you washing when believers get together, but then whose feet are you washing during the week when we're not together? And here, let me give an example. As, as a married person, here's one that comes to mind. Um, uh, imagine, you know, I, I imagine like, what it would be like if, if you come home after a hard day of work and you're met at the door by your wife and, and she says, oh, I've been good at why don't you go sit out on the couch, turn on some ESPN? What would you like to eat? Oh man, fellas, how many of you would be blessed by that? I mean, come on, all right, you'd be blessed by that, all right? You'd be blessed by that, okay? So that would be a blessing, right? Well, imagine now with the women. Imagine you're on the phone and it was a distressing call, and the man in your life notices that, and he turns on ESPN. He sets down the remote. He says, "Would you come and sit?" Starts rubbing your feet and says, Tell me what's going on. Women, how many would be blessed? <laughs> Alright. Do you see what happens? Imagine if, if and this is just an example of marriage. Imagine the, what this would be like if this was friends were doing this to friends and, and classmates were doing this to classmates and, and teammates were doing this to teammates. And, and every time Christians had an opportunity, we were looking for ways to serve, to put the needs of the others first. Would we not be blessed? And would we not be a blessing? We would, we would be blessed. We would be a blessing. So do it. We know it. We know it would be a blessing. We know it's an example of our Father and our Savior. When you go out to eat, if you go out to eat today, figure out how, how am I going to serve the server? How am I going to serve the server? When, when, when you do whatever it is you do, you know, find ways 
to serve, to serve, to serve. Now, let me say two final things, and then we'll have the worship band come up in just a second. So just two quick things. Um, one is this. There are some people who won't want any part of that. As you set out to serve servers, as you start to flip this thing up and down, upside down, just know there will be some people who will just mock that. They'll, they'll receive the servanthood, but they won't reciprocate it. Because there's Judas's. There's, there's people who don't want the status quo upset. Because the status quo is predictable. The status quo is, I can, I can demand from those below me. And there are people that like that. You know? I can, de- I can demand something from those who I'm paying for service or I'm their boss. I can, I can, I can demand that and I like it. And not only do I like it, I, I like the fact that if I serve those above me, it can help me up the ladder. So there's some people that are Judas's. They, they, don't, they don't want to put Washington aside. They don't want to receive that. They would like it the way it is where I can demand to be served by those who are supposed to serve me and I can work my way up if I serve those who are above me. There will be those people. There's a lot of folks who are just waiting to hear about what Washington side and about the kingdom that he needs where we serve one another. Where, where you don't even talk about who's greatest, but if you do talk about greatest, the greatest is the one who serves. And then if we're going to come to blows over anything, it's, it's my turn. Imagine how you'll be blessed. Imagine how the world will be blessed. So let's invite God to do that. Worship band, come on up. They're going to lead us in a song called Awakening. Let's ask God in this song to awaken us. Does this come naturally? No. Are you a bad person if if you don't want to do this? It's that's the wrong question. We need the Spirit of Christ to come in us and to change us and to, to make this. Make us into these people. So let's let's make this time God's. Let's pray. Father, we, we take this time now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would depend on us, descend on us, and we would depend on you. Lord, may your Spirit descend on us. Spirit of truth descend on us. Open our eyes that we may see and hear the kingdom of God, and then God, descend your Spirit that we may enter into it. Father, change us. Even right now, change our hearts and change our minds. As we cry out to you, you would awaken the spirit of Christ that is already in many of us, that you would awaken a longing in all of us. This longing that we have to live under your leadership, your kingdom. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.